Romans 1, verses 8 through 17. Paul continues and he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, Paul brags on the church in Rome because word had spread about their faith in the Lord Jesus. Look again at verse 8. I want to come on to chase something for a second here. Paul says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Now, this is a church that Paul had not been to yet. This isn't a church Paul started. He's never been to Rome yet when he writes this letter to this church. Yet he's bragging on them because of the fact that word had already spread about what God was doing there. And what I want to kind of talk about for a little bit, and I'll show you from the scripture as well, is this is actually true and what it should be like for a healthy church. We spend a lot of time today in our American Christianity working on how to get the word out. Uh, some of you may not know this, but being a pastor for 20 plus years before I went into this traveling ministry, you'd be amazed how many uh, businesses there are out there, quote unquote, Christian businesses that will help you market your church. We can double your attendance in so many weeks and all this kind of stuff. If you'll spend the money on our marketing plan and if you can get the word out and mailers and all this stuff. And the more I study the scripture, the more I realize the Bible actually doesn't teach a focus on getting the word out as much as we talk about. The Bible teaches a focus on living with Jesus in control and loving each other. And from there, word just starts to spread because people are hearing and noticing there's a change about these folks. If you actually think, to, think, think for a second with me to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, the believers who had just gotten saved at the Apostle Peter's preaching, 3,000 were added to their number, and it says they devoted themselves to the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, which is the Lord's Supper, to the apostles' teaching, and to prayer. Did you catch that? They devoted themselves to four things. The study of the Word of God, the Lord's Supper to remind them of why they were together, fellowship and spending time together, and prayer. Evangelism wasn't even one of them. But we've been taught to focus on evangelism, evangelism. And don't hear me wrong. You're going to see there's a value, and we are to be telling people about Jesus. But the focus has become, let's get the word out. But unfortunately, the Bible teaches that how people actually desire to come to know Christ is they hear, that's the word I'm looking for, just naturally. It becomes an outflow. The, the, the early church was actually told, stop talking about Jesus. 
And they said, we can't help but speak about what we've seen and heard. It's just going to come out of us. Peter says we're to always be ready to give reason for the hope that lies within us, acting as if people are going to be coming to us and saying, what's different? And if you notice in the scriptures, Paul and Silas sitting in prison, praising God in the midst of their being shamefully treated, the guy, the jailer comes and says, what must I do to be saved? If you look through the scriptures, God's the one who's doing his work. And if we would actually allow the spirit of God to do his work in our life, there's going to be an evidence of that. It's called love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness. And people are going to go, I want some of that. And word is going to spread. So let me give you a couple examples from Scripture how this is a very natural reaction for a healthy church. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. So don't hear me say that we're not supposed to tell people about Jesus. I'm saying if we're really walking in the Spirit and living with the Lord, you won't have to tell people to go do it. Does that make sense? 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, look at verses 2 through 10. Paul says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we don't need to say anything for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come Paul said we don't even have to tell anybody what God's done where you are words already spread people are talking about what God did there and what he's doing go to second Thessalonians and second Thessalonians we're going to go to um Chapter, we'll go to chapter two and kind of catch you up because of the persecution that he just hinted at. Paul and, 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 and his companions had to, uh, had to leave. Actually, we'll go back to 1 Thessalonians and, and we'll, we'll go to 1 Thessalonians first. Go to 1 Thessalonians and we'll go to chapter two there. And we'll look at verse 17. He says, since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time. Actually, I'm going to talk about that later in the study, so I'm going to hold off on that. Stick with me. Stay with my original plan. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We'll come back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 in a little bit. And look at verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith and all your persecutions and the afflictions that you're enduring. He actually says, we've bragged on you as well. What's happening there is so real. People are already talking about it, and we're telling people about it. And i got to be honest with you. When I travel around, I'll actually have churches ask me. And I get phone calls to our ministry, by the way, where people are moving into the area saying, do you know of any good churches? We, we like your teaching. We, would, would you recommend any churches in your area? And I have to prayerfully decide, where do I send them? Let me ask you a question. What do people say about the church you go to? Your local assembly. 
What's being said about your congregation? And again, I'm not asking you to answer that out loud. I just want to let that thought, thought just kind of sink into your head tonight. What's being said about the church group that you're meeting with regularly? What do, what do they say about LifePoint? Not everybody goes to LifePoint. Some of you go other places. But what are they saying about where you're going? Is word spreading? Is what's happening there so of God that you don't have to, well, we got to get the word out. It's just getting out. All right? Now we'll just leave that at that. Go back to chapter 1 of Romans. Look at verses 9 through 13. I'm going to kind of set the stage for what's going on in this section. I'm going to read it to you again. Paul had desired to meet them and use the calling that God had given him and the gifts that he had given him in their situation. So look again at what he says now in verse 9 and following. He says, For God's my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in, also in Rome. So we're going to spend the rest of our time tonight pulling out some stuff from here. There's a lot here that we're going to chase. And so the first thing I want you to see is this. Like I, I told you, Paul's writing to him and he says, I've wanted to come to you for a while. And my desire is multiple for why I wanted to come to you. One was I wanted to use the gifts God's given me to encourage you and strengthen you. But I also want you to encourage and strengthen me. And we're going to get into some of that in just a second. But I want to just say this. As much as Paul had a desire to go and be used of God in, with the gifts that God had given him in their situation, all of us should have that same attitude. All of us should have that same attitude of, I want to use the gifts God's given me to encourage people and to strengthen them and to bless them. You don't have to have the gift of preaching or teaching or anything like that, but whatever gift God's given you, you know the Bible, and we're going to talk about this, says that if you're saved, he doesn't just save you. He's also got put his spirit within you, but he doesn't just put his spirit within you. When he puts his spirit within you, he also gives you gifts or gift, a gift or gifts that he wants to use through you to encourage and strengthen the body of Christ. And you should have a desire, a God-given desire, that you want to use to bless. For example, I think you all pretty know, much know this about me. If I get a chance to preach, I'm giddy. Yesterday was awesome because I preached three times yesterday. I love my life, and my wife will tell you, if I'm about to go on a preaching trip and I'm going to be traveling, I can't, I don't really, I don't really love preaching, I love traveling and preaching. I want to go to places and encourage the body of Christ, and that's what I want to do. And you also should not only know what your gift is, you should also have a desire to say, Lord, how can I use this gift to encourage other people? The church today has unfortunately become very consumeristic, and our attitude is, is what's it going, what, do you got for, what are you going to do for me? And we come to church thinking that church is about spectating, and, well, I didn't like the music. Years ago when I was pastor at this one church, a lady came up to me afterwards, and she said, I didn't like the music today. And I said, good. She goes, why? I go, because we didn't plan it for you. <laughs> we planned it for the Lord, and we hope he's pleased, but... Whether you liked it or not, we didn't even consider that. But that mindset is in most of us as church members. 
Do we like the preaching? Do we like the singing? Do we like this or that or whatever? We come with an attitude of, what are you going to do for me? That church not meeting my needs. The Bible actually says we should have the opposite attitude. But you know, when I used to do premarital counseling, I used to teach the young couples, listen, if the husband's desire is to meet the needs of the wife and the wife's desire is to meet the needs of the husband, both your needs are going to be met and you're going to have a great marriage. But if the husband says, what's she going to do for me? And the wife says, what's he going to do for me? You guys are going to have a problem. But if you're intentionally looking to meet the needs of the people around you, according to the gifts you've been given, the body of Christ will be built up. It'll encourage each other as each part does its work. And so go with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about, how the scripture talks about this. Just as much as Paul desired to go and encourage them and strengthen them with the gifts he'd been given... We should have that same attitude. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. It says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God and whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. So here Peter says, whatever gift you've received, use it to strengthen and encourage the body. Now, I'm also going to stop you before you run off to go use your gift and tell you there's something else here in Romans 1, though, that Paul said that we need to listen to as well. He said, it was my desire to come and do this, and it has been for a long time, but it wasn't time. Did you catch that? Just because you have a desire to use your gift doesn't mean that you're to just go use your gift willy-nilly. That's actually one of the problems they had in the early church there in Corinth. If you go and do a study of 1 Corinthians, Paul's dealing with a whole lot of problems in that church. And one of them was that when they got together, everybody wanted to use their gifts. They were more interested in just using their gifts. They didn't really care whether or not it was a blessing to anybody else because they just saw it as a blessing to themselves. Well, let me show you what I mean. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Look at verse 26. Look what Paul says there. 1 Corinthians 14. Verse 26, he says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. So here he says, when you come together, everybody's wanting to use their gifts, but it's causing chaos. That's why we hear all the time the scriptures or people talking about everything be done decently and in order. We too, like Paul, should wait until the time that God has planned is right. Don't force yourself on the church. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul goes into a great teaching on the different gifts. And he starts in verse 4, we'll jump there in verse 4, and he says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Now to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to that same Spirit, 
to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and that actually means languages, to another the interpretation of those languages. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, keep reading. For just as the body is one, and has many parts, and all the parts of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we're all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of the one spirit. <clears throat> the body doesn't consist of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And where would the, if the body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the parts in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So I want you to hear this. God's design, once you got saved, he's put you into the body of Christ, the universal body of Christ. And also, in the local body that you're in, he wants to use the gifts that he's given you to fit into what he was doing where he is. Now, we then can't say, well, my gift is this, and so I'm going to do it. No, you have to wait until God says, okay, not only have I given you the, time, the, the gift or, and the desire, you still have to wait on me for the win. That's been hard for me over the years. My poor wife will tell you, I knew when God called me to preach that his, I now know, long-term plan was that I would travel and encourage the churches around America. That I knew from an early age. And it was in my heart. And when I first started preaching, I tried to do that. Some of you may know this, some of you may not. I used to, when Becky and I were newlyweds, I used to travel around the southeastern part of the U.S. doing Christian comedy. I would actually travel around, do Christian comedy with youth groups in different places. And then after doing comedy for a while, then I'd teach a Bible passage or bring us a, a lesson. And it was me trying to go make happen what I knew God had put in my heart, but at one time. And I had to go through a humbling to come to realize just because God's gifted you this way and just because he's put it in your heart doesn't mean it's supposed to happen right now. And I had to learn that. And then I had to become a youth pastor for years. And then I was an associate pastor in New Orleans for seven years. And then I became a senior pastor in Chicago for five years. And then senior pastor in Florida for another five to six years. And then God says, okay, now you're ready for what it is that I had put in your heart years ago. When I resigned the pastorate uh, at First Baptist in the Atlantic on a Sunday evening of September, September 5th, 2005, that Sunday night when I resigned to the, and explained to the church that I was leaving the pastor to go into this traveling ministry, just to preacher ministries, a lady ran up to my wife afterwards and said, when did you know about this? And Becky's answer was awesome. She said, I knew when I married him. It just took a while. You should have a desire to use the gifts God's given you. Don't go do damage by using the gifts God's given you. Wait until God says is time. Is that not something we've had to learn over the years? We, we know what he's gifted us. We want to go do it. And God says, not, not until it's time. Paul says here, I've wanted to. 
But God hasn't said yes yet. Go to chapter 15, though. You'll see that there comes a point where he's realizing now at the end of his letter to Romans that it's time. Go to Romans chapter 15. And look at verse 22 and following. Paul says, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. And I know that when I come to you, I'll come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now he's just said, this is why I've been hindered. And what he's just said in the previous verses is, God's put it on my heart to go preach where the gospel hadn't been preached yet. That's one of the big things on, on, on my life, Paul said. By the way, for me, I've not been wired to go preach where the gospel hasn't been preached. How God's called me and gifted me is to go to the places where there are people already are believers and they're Christians and take them deeper. If you ask me to teach a brand new believers class, people that just came to faith or don't even know who God and Jesus is yet, it would kill me. And I'd kill them. Because my desire is to take Christians who know the word and take them deeper. What does it really mean? Goes a little further. What does it mean to walk in the spirit? What does it mean biblically to be led of the spirit? These types of things. And that's how God's called my. So my calling is to go where Christians are already growing, but take them stronger and deeper. Paul, though, had a desire to go where the gospel hadn't made it yet. And now he's come to realize that time is coming to a close. And now I finally get to go to Rome like I wanted to. But if you caught what he said here, and this is what we're going to chase in a little bit. He said, I also... When I come to you, I not only want to use the gifts God's given me to strengthen you, I want you to encourage me. And he's hinted already in chapter 1 and here in chapter 15 at a couple of things that he's wanting them to do for him. Does anybody, did anybody see what those two things might possibly be? Financial aid. Financial aid. Very good. He said, I hope that on my way to Spain, you guys can help me get to Spain. We're going to chase that for a little bit. The body of Christ, first of all, loving each other, is an encouragement to other church leaders. We're going to come back to the financial aid in just a little bit. But one of the things I want you to see is this, and the Bible teaches it very clearly, folks. You want to be an encouragement to your pastors? Love each other. No, I'm serious. I'm going to fill you in on something that a lot of pastors would never tell you. We really don't like Pastor Appreciation Month. Would you not agree? We don't like Pastor Appreciation Month. You know why? As nice as it is that the church might take a love offering and give you some money and a card, what we'd rather have than a semi-phony, we love you, Pastor, offering is for you to listen to us as we lead the rest of the year. All right? That's much more of a blessing. Go to 1 Thessalonians. I told you we're going to come to 1 Thessalonians 2. We'll go do that now. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 
Look at what he says to the church there. First Thessalonians chapter two, verses one through three, and then we're going to jump over to chapter three. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 2, verses 1 through 3, Paul says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart. We never came to you with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. Don't miss that. God's our witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. All right. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you'd become very dear to us. Now, jump over to verse 17. If you remember, they had chased out of town because of all the persecution that happened. In verse 17, he says, since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or our joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith so that no one may be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and has brought us the good news of your faith and love, and reported that you always remember us kindly, and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we've been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you're standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what's lacking in your faith. Paul said, we came and we gave ourselves to you. And we were gentle with you as a nursing mother. We weren't greedy for money. We actually just gave of ourselves. We were an example to you and we cared for you. But because of the persecution, we were torn away from you for a while. And we were really concerned about whether or not you you guys were baby Christians when we had to leave. And we were hoping that you were going to make it through this trial. And finally, we couldn't take it anymore. We wanted to hear how you were doing. And there was no Facebook and no cell phone. And so we sent Timothy to go find out how you were doing. And he's just come back and told us that you love each other and the church is doing well and you long to see us and you love us. And I'm telling you, that feels awesome. I've had the privilege of being a part of many congregations all around the country. And because we live in a day and age in which we actually can keep up with people now that we haven't seen in years, folks, there's no greater joy than to see that this young couple that you knew when they came to faith years ago in Chicago are now 
They got kids that are grown and they're serving the Lord and they're now living over here, but their kids are walking with the Lord. And it's such an encouragement. It's a grief sometimes to see some of the marriages that have fallen apart over the years of people that you knew and loved and worked side by side with, and it hurts. Paul said, I want to come and encourage you, but I need you to encourage me too. Don't ever think that pastors really don't feel what goes on in their church. People have said, as God's moved us over the years from one place to another, and they're crying and say, we're going to miss you, pastor, and we have to tell them, you don't understand. You're hurting because you're going to miss one family. We're hurting because we're going to miss 50 or 100 families. It hurts us too. And to hear that you're walking with the Lord and you're growing and what happened was real and it was of the Lord and not of man, that's an encouragement. You want to be a, a blessing to your pastor? Love each other. Love each other. Stop being a consumer in your congregation. Ask God to let you use the gifts he's given you to bless others and wait until he says yes. Go to Philemon. Look at verses 4 through 7 in the book of Philemon. You'll see another example of this. <clears throat> and you all passed the test. Nobody asked me for what chapter. Good job. Philemon ch chapter 1 and only one, verses 4 through 7. Look at what Paul says to this man, Philemon. He says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Here, Philemon's a leader in the church there. And Paul's about to ask him to do something hard. One of Philemon's servants, one of his slaves, had abandoned and run away. And in his running away, he met Paul, and he became a believer. And Paul says, you need to go back to your master. But he's writing this letter to Philemon saying, don't be harsh with him. Treat him like a brother, because that's what he is now. But before Paul says, please, for the sake of Christ and from, for our good, do this, he says, I've already heard about you, and I know, and I know you well, and you've been an encouragement to me because you've been used to God to bless the saints. <clears throat> Go to Hebrews chapter 13. You're in Philemon. Just turn over one book. Hebrews chapter 13. Look at verses 17 through 19. Hebrews 13, 17 through 19. The Hebrew writer says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. So here he again says, obey your leaders. Just listen to them and pray for them. It'll actually be a blessing to you if your leaders aren't having to keep putting out fires. One of the things that I actually wasn't very good at as a pastor was I tried to make everybody like me. I tried to keep everybody happy. 
Y'all remember the guy in the circus that was the guy who would spin all the plates? And he'd, oh no, this one's gone again. And he'd get it going and then he'd, oh no, that one over there. That's how I pastored. If I heard that someone was upset about something, I had to go make it happy. Make it right, make it right, make it right. And it about killed me. And actually almost did. If you've ever read my book, you'll see the chapter I'm talking about. Paul said, I've had a desire to be an encouragement to you. And I want you to be an encouragement to me. And one of the ways, like I just touched on here, was them loving each other. But as you just brought out, as we've already seen kind of hinted at in almost all of our passages, is God also designed that the spiritual leaders that blessed the body with spiritual food and spiritual blessings, the body was to bless the leaders with money for physical food and physical blessings. I'm going to talk to you tonight about money. It's actually here in the passage in Romans 1 and also in the other corroborating passages. A lot of pastors are afraid to talk about it because people think, well, you're only doing that because you want more money. I hope you understand my heart, and I'm going to lay this out for you in many different ways tonight. I hope you have heard, I don't charge for anything. The Lord has taught us that he would take care of us. We don't look to man at all. I'm going to say things to you tonight that you're going to think, I've never heard a preacher say that. Hang on. You're going to, you're going to see. I, what I'm going to share with you tonight is going to come from the scriptures, and it's going to come from the word of God, and you need to hear it. But unfortunately, a lot of pastors are afraid to talk about this, and I'm not going to be afraid to talk about it. But we're also going to see that it... I, you, you're probably going to say... I'd never had it put together that way before. And if that happens, that's the Lord who opens your eyes, not me. But go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5. And let's do a little study about God's design for the attitude of those in ministry toward money and the attitude of the body when it comes to money toward those in ministry. 1 Timothy chapter 5, look at verses 17 and 18. In 1 Timothy 5, verses 17 and 18. It says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. Now, let me just stop there real quick. Here, Paul says, those elders, especially those whose role is preaching and teaching are worthy of double honor. And was he talking about a parking space? No, he's not talking about a parking space. Was he talking about, I call, I call you reverend, pastor. People, a lot of people, like, they feel like they're giving double honor because they call you pastor. I always tell people, stop calling me pastor. My name's Jim. I don't call you Sunday school teacher. I don't call you usher. I don't call you sound man. Although, maybe that's a good nickname for you. I don't know. But let me just say this to you. That's my role But we all have different roles in the body. But I want to give you reverence. I want to show respect for the position. The Bible says you show respect for the position by listening, doing what they say, and making sure they're paid. For years, I grew up in a church that had this phrase. They would always say, Lord, send us a poor, humble preacher. You keep him humble. We'll keep him poor. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Listen closely to what the scripture teaches here. Now, as I go into this, I want you to not jump to any conclusions. 
I am not teaching health and wealth. I'm not teaching that God wants every preacher to be a millionaire. None of that. As you're going to see, Paul said, I know what it's like to have a lot. I know what it's like to have a little. The attitude of the pastors, those in ministry, should be, I'm not looking to the people for my money anyway. I'm looking to God. But the attitude of the body should be, we want our pastor never to have to worry about money. And if he's blessing us with the word, we want to make sure that he's being blessed financially so he doesn't have to worry about paying his bills and he can just serve the Lord. Go to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul goes into much more detail about this. Because you remember how he had already said to the Thessalonian church, we didn't come with a pretext for greed. Unfortunately, the Corinthian church was accusing Paul of being in it for the money. And so to make sure that they knew that he wasn't in it for the money, he actually didn't take any money from the church in Corinth. He actually made, made his own living, making tents and being bivocational. But listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 1 through 18. He says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Bartimaeus and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say things, these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve in the, at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if, I, if not of my own will, I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Paul said, God's plan was that you would take care of those in leadership financially so they didn't have to worry about money. That's been God's plan all along. But God's desire also, though, is that those who are in ministry should never look to the people for their income. You'll see this if you go back with me in your minds to Matthew chapter 10. You can look at it later on. In Matthew 10, Jesus sends out the apostles and the disciples two by two to go preach the good news of the kingdom. And he says this to them, I think around verse 7. He said, freely you've received, freely give. In other words, don't charge anybody to hear the good news. Yet he also does something else at the same time. He says, oh, and by the way, 
Don't charge at all for what you're going to share. And on top of that, I don't want you to bring any money. I don't want you to bring a change of clothes. And I don't want you to bring any food. What's he teaching them? Dependence on him. The gospel's free. Never charge for the gospel. Let me say some things about Just the Preacher Ministry that God has opened up for us and he's challenged us. And we've been doing it now for the last three to five years. And let me say something to you. God has blessed us because of this. But when churches say, Jim, we've heard about your ministry and we'd like you to come help us, what do you charge? We, expl- we say the same thing, nothing. They go, come on, you gotta, you got to have some money for this, that, and the other. I said, listen closely, we will come for nothing. We will pay for our own plane tickets, we'll book our own flights, we do our own hotels, I do my own meals, I own rental car, I will cover all of that. If you give us anything, great. If you don't, it doesn't change anything. We give away all our material, everything on our website's freely downloadable. You want books, we're, giving, we're about to publish a brand new book on the book of Revelation. Can't wait until it comes out. It's hopefully going to happen within the next month or so. And they're free. We're going to give them out. You know how many ministries now today will say, if you'll make a donation, we'll give you this teaching on the word of God. And we've been grieved by that. We felt like God said to us, don't do that. And I can look you in the eye and say, I'm not sharing this with you because we need money. We've been blessed. Now, some of you are saying, well, that was a stupid thing to say. Because now people are going to think, Jim's ministries, hey, if I was looking to you, I'd be afraid to say that. But I'm not looking to you. As you're going to see in just a little bit, Paul himself even says in chapter 4 of Philippians, we're amply supplied. We're amply supplied. How many ministries are afraid to say that? Because people might not give. Folks, listen to me. When we trust the Lord... And ministers don't do ministry for the money, but just serve the Lord. He takes care of them. And when churches trust the Lord and say, we want to make sure our pastors never worry about money and ministries don't worry about money and people in our church that have needs don't worry about those needs. And you are generous with each other and generous with your leadership. Listen to me. God blesses those churches. I've seen it. It's happening. God's word says it. It happens. I know of churches in this area that are actually in. I'll say it. First Baptist Melbourne is in the middle of a building program, and they need so many million to build their new sanctuary. They're they're building over there. A lot of you may not know this, but in the middle of their building program, they came to realize that they had a surplus in their giving in their budget. Do you know what First Baptist Melbourne has done? It has written $10,000 checks to other churches in the area to bless them. Because they had a surplus in their budget. They could have easily put it into their building program because they need money for their building program. But they felt like God said, no, trust me that I'll take care of your building program. You take the surplus and you bless other churches. And God is blessing First Baptist Melbourne. You want to be a part of that blessing? You want to experience it in your personal life? Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Look at verses 6 through 15. Listen to what Paul says here. He says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. 
Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, listen, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all the others. Paul says, listen, God's designed it that when you trust him and you're generous, He gives you more so that you can be more generous. And he gets the glory. Again, please don't hear me say that, well, that means you're going to be a millionaire. No, 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 no. Go to Philippians chapter 4 real quick, and and you'll see that Paul lays this out very clearly. Go to Philippians chapter 4. Paul says in verse 10, Philippians 4, verse 10, he says to the church there, he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Now you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, before we go any further, this is what Paul said. He said, I I thank you that you have renewed your concern. In other words, I just got your financial gift. I'm not talking about this financial gift because I'm in need. I've learned the secret. I'm not looking to you guys to take care of me. I know it is to have a lot. I know what it is to have a little. And I've learned the secret of being content. God is going to take care of me. I can do everything I need to do through Christ. It gives me strength. But look what he says next, though, in verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And as you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, don't miss that. Paul says two things you would never hear a Christian ministry say. One, he says, you are the only church that has supported me and I'm fine. By the way, how many times do we hear people say, or ministries say, we just need so many more monthly supporters? Still looking to man. How often they say, we couldn't do this without you. No, God's big enough. If you decide not to take care of Just to Preacher Ministries, he's going to take care of Just to Preacher Ministries as long as our eyes are on him. So I'm not sharing any of this so that you guys will give more money to the ministry. But I'm going to tell you this much. If God's telling you to give to any ministry, He will bless you to be able to keep doing it. And then Paul says something else that you won't hear. He said, we're amply supplied. And again, years ago, I would have never dared say that because I was looking to man to take care of me. And I'd be like, well, they're going to think we're okay and they'll write checks somewhere else. 
But God has taught me, I'm not looking to people anymore. And folks, let me tell you, not only in our ministry, but in our personal life, God has shown us that what he says here is real and true. And I want you to experience the same. Again, I'm not promising you that if you give to a certain thing, God will pay off your house tomorrow, though like some foolish preachers do. But I can promise you this. In Psalm chapter 34, verse 8, it says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. For those who fear him have no lack. Now, young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who fear the Lord lack no good thing. Wait a minute, Jim. Paul said he knows what it's like to be in need. There's a big difference between need and lack. We're all going to have needs, but then lack is when the need never gets met. The need will always get met. And what did Paul say? My God will supply all of your needs according to his riches. But who did he write that to? He wrote that to the church that had been generous in giving to his ministry. Did you catch that? We love to quote, my God will supply all your needs. Well, not if you're not trusting in him, he won't. But if you're looking to him and you're doing what he says, he will bless you. Go back real quick to 2 Corinthians 9. I got to show you one thing and then we're going to wrap up tonight so that we can end up where we did last night as well. Go back to 2 Corinthians 9. <clears throat> Look at verse 8 and verse 9. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Paul quotes here in this context from a passage in the Old Testament. Does anybody know where he quoted from here? Psalm 112, good for you. Got a study Bible, right? You, you know that. You had it written down. Well, good for you. Hey, Jack, that's, all, I mean, that, that's, that's awesome. Take a look at Psalm 112, folks. I want you to see it. This, how I told you, not only in our ministry, but in our family's personal life, was a turning point for us when I ran across something in Psalm 112. Now, I got to be honest with you. I was meditating on something completely different. I was meditating on Psalm 112, verse 7, but God used Psalm 112, the whole chapter, as I was meditating on, especially verse 7, to begin to challenge us, and we have experienced some neat things. Let me tell you what it says here in Psalm 112, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Blesses the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright, and he is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice, for the righteous will never be moved. He'll be remembered forever. He's not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He'll not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. Look at the context of where Paul's quoting from in Psalm 112. The man who's generous doesn't worry, doesn't fear. God will take care of him. And God laid a challenge to my heart, and we started to put it into practice. Folks, i got to be honest with you. I was raised to be a penny pincher. I was raised to make sure I covered expenses. And finally, God said, either you're going to trust me or you're not going to trust me. I said, Lord, I, I want to trust you. He says, okay. And he would start challenging us to give beyond what we thought we could afford. But when he spoke... We didn't say, okay, God, I'm going to do this, and you better come through. No, 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 we don't put the Lord to the test. 
But when he speaks and he challenges you to do something, you do it. And folks, once we started doing that, God began to start take care of us in financial ways that we just said, oh, cool. And he'll say, okay, don't get excited and throw that in your bank account. Now go give the excess that I just gave you over here. And then more came in. We'll give it over here. And my wife will tell you, and I'm not going to give you the exact number because we're not doing it to brag. But even though we live off of support of people given to our ministry, our family personally, either individuals or ministries, are supporting 10 to 15 different, and it might be more, ministries around the world. Because God's put it in our heart, and we share, and we give. And he keeps blessing. And we've learned this phrase in our house when it comes to money. It's only money. It's only money. If God says do it, do it. Because it's just money. It's just a a tool that God has blessed us to use. And as we wrap up tonight, I'm going to do two things in the time we have left. I'm going to share a story with some of you, with all of you, but some of you have heard it, some of you haven't. But this past Christmas, we're coming up on a year from now, God really challenged us to do this in a a fun way. We knew at our church, First Baptist Merritt Island, that there were a couple of widows who were wanting to go see their family but weren't going to be able to because of COVID. And so God said, we want you to make them a part of your family this Christmas. Why don't you invite them to come be a part of your Christmas Eve service and then take them to dinner afterwards. Now, let me set the stage for you. We had already begun to open presents with other parts of our family. And one of the presents we opened from my brother Jeremy, which... By the way, I don't see Jeremy tonight. Yeah, yeah, he's usually here. He doesn't make a lot of money. But Jeremy had given Becky and I each $50 gift cards to Olive Garden. We're like, Jeremy, that's a, that's a lot of money. But he was glad to do it. And so we felt like God wanted us to go and bless these ladies. And so we called him. We said, look, we know you can't see your family. We want you to be a part of our family this Christmas. Come sit with us at the Christmas Eve service, and we want to take you to Olive Garden afterwards. And they were like, well, that'd be great. And so we met them at the 4.30 Christmas Eve service, and then we went to Olive Garden, and we sat at this big table. We invited our three kids. We're all full grown now, and we all all sat around this big table, and I said, here are the rules. We've already started with $100 that's not ours. We want to bless you. Tonight, you get to get anything you want, and you better not skimp. If I see you look at the menu and your eyes look like, well, that's too much, you're in trouble with me. You better order appetizer. You better order dessert. You better not order water either. You better order a soda or iced tea. We ain't buying alcohol. But if you want a soda or iced tea, you better not get water. And the, the, our kids looked at us like, us too? We're like, yes, you too. You get to not have water tonight. You can get a soda. Folks, we went nuts. This one lady goes, well, I've been looking at the cheesecake. She hadn't even looked at the menu for the meal yet. She's already looking at the cheesecake. And I said, well, get it. She goes, the other one goes, well, they got donuts here that are really good. I'm like, I didn't know that. If you didn't know it, Olive Garden has amazing donuts. She says, well, we're getting, we're getting the donuts too. And I, I love calamari. So we ordered calamari. We're getting appetizers. Let me just tell you, by the time we were done, because you can order extra, you know, pay a few more dollars and mails to go home at Olive Garden and all that. By the time it was all done, the, the bill was in the hundreds of dollars. It was in the hundreds of dollars. But it's okay. It's only money. And so... Comes time to pay the bill, those little machines are on the table. And so I'm not good at that stuff. So I said, Beck, would you take care of it? And so she takes the thing and she's got the gift card and she starts to swipe the first gift card. And all of a sudden the thing says, your balance is zero. I go, what happened? We'd already just finished calculating the tip and we made sure we blessed them with a big tip. But before she could even start swiping the first gift card, the machine says the balance is zero. So we call our waiter over and we said, we just finished giving the tip and we're going to pay it and we got these gift cards and now it says our balance is zero. He said, I'll go check. 
He comes back from the back room and he goes, somebody here has paid your bill. I'm looking around. I don't see anybody that I recognize. I go, you serious? He goes, yeah. I go, could you check and make sure that there's not still money on these gift cards? He goes and he goes, yeah, there's $50 on each of these gift cards. They haven't been used. I go, somebody paid our bill? He goes, somebody's paid your bill. I go, did they tip you good? He goes, yeah, they tipped me really good. I go, well, it doesn't matter. Uh, you blessed us tonight. Here, here's $20 more. And I pulled out a 20. He goes, no, sir, he's already given to whoever's done it's taking care of me. I'm like, you don't understand. We want to bless you. So we gave him $20. Then it hits me. I said, hang on, I've paid people's bills. I've done this before. You go to their waiter and you say, I want to pay their bill. Who did it? He goes, I really don't know, but somebody's paid your bill. Go home. <laughs> Three days later, we found out who paid our bill. Do you know who paid the bill? We did. You see, I didn't tell you that when Becky grabbed the machine, in her right hand were the gift cards from Jeremy, in her left hand was our personal credit card that we were going to use to pay the balance. And this is one of those machines that if you just tap it, you paid. <laughs> Becky says, I didn't, my left hand didn't know what my right hand was doing. <laughs> we are sitting at her parents' house in Gainesville looking at our credit card statement and just laughing. And then it hits me. And I gave him 20 bucks more. <laughs> but you know why? Why were we generous? Because we didn't see it as our money. You understand what I'm saying? We're starting with 100 that's not ours. And then once we thought someone else had paid it, here's 20 more. That's the attitude that God wants. And I'm telling you, you will be an encouragement to the people around you, however God leads you, whoever he wants you to bless. Now, as we get ready for next week, back in Romans 1, Paul says that he's not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We're going to wrestle with that next week because remember how we ended up last week? The gospel is for who? For just the Jew? No, it's for Jew and Gentile. Has it always been for the Jew and the Gentile? Yes, and we're, we're going to lay that out some more. But we ended last week with the gospel has always been for everybody. Then what does Paul mean then when he says it's to the Jew first and also to the Greek if it's always been for everyone? That's where we're going to pick up next week. I love you. Thanks for coming.